turn to Matthew 13, please. Okay. Um, you found Matthew 13? It's just after Matthew 12, um, if you were looking. Uh, we spoke last week, we began to speak last week about developing a responsible response to receiving a prophetic word. I gave you several keys that you can implement to help see a prophetic word come to reality. We concluded by saying that a prophetic word does not fulfill itself. I think you gathered this much. There is the dimension that comes from the prophet's mouth. We spoke the week before that in Jeremiah 1.10. There's the power to uproot, throw over, destroy, and then there's the power to build and plant. So there's a dimension that comes by the grace of God through the mouth of the prophet. Then there is a dimension that has to come through our hearing, receiving, perceiving what God is saying, and a decision that needs to be made in terms of receiving this word in the context of the written word. The rhema is always received in the context of the logos, that which is written. God never speaks a word outside the context of his word. By that I'm not saying that God is limited to speak. Moses said it's a preceding word. God continues to speak, but nothing that God says today is in conflict with what he has said in the past. The Bible says God is not an author of confusion. God never, when there is confusion in your life, you don't have to ask God where it's coming from. You should know where it comes from. Confusion comes out of the demonic to hinder you from doing the good will and the good pleasure of God. And so God is not the author of confusion because he brings our lives to divine order through divine patterns and principles. Divine patterns and principles. In the Old Covenant, it is known as the Torah, the law of God. More clearly understood, the teachings of God, the principles of God. And so when we embrace the principles of God, the teachings of God, or we can call it the mind of Christ, we begin to come into right standing with God. Scripture calls that righteousness. That'll be vertical righteousness, right standing with God. And if acted upon properly, horizontal righteousness, righteousness with man, which then brings us peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The gospel is very simple to understand. It's religion that makes it complex. And so we're going to look at the scriptures again today out of Matthew. And the response that we're looking, the question we're seeking to answer is, what should be your response towards the prophetic words you've received? I'll put that in plural words because you have probably received words in the past. And perhaps you have received more than one word on the Wednesday evening when Prophet Denver was here. Word, words, at least it's not one word. 
he has received several words, a context, a phrase. Uh, God was seeking to bring through some element that he puts his finger on that either hinders your growth or will now accelerate your growth if you handle it properly at this time. God is economical. God speaks to us about that which needs to be done now if your future is going to be the outcome that he's looking for. Amen? So I could say then that a prophetic word is when God customizes his word for you or for me or for us corporately. He customizes his word so that it is specifically spoken to you for you, and there is no other person on the planet for which that word would suit exactly as it's spoken, because it's for you. God understands your history. He understands your journey. He understands your present condition. He understands your aspirations, your desires, etc. God knows all of these things, and we don't have to inform him. The Bible says before you open your mouth to speak something, God already knows what you're about to say. So God is completely, fully enlightened about your life. So when he speaks, it's because he knows you. David said, when I was an unformed mass in my mother's womb, you carefully wove me together, knitted me together, so that... And then you called me by my name because God even knew what your parents would name you before they named you. In fact, God knew what your parents' parents would name them before they named them because he's God. He dwells in eternity. And therefore, there is nothing really that we can inform him of except acknowledging who we are before him truthfully because when we approach God in untruth we actually insult God because we suggest that God doesn't know the truth and we try to present to him something that is untruthful we can do that in our prayers and different things we can do that and so we have to remember that he dwells in light amen and he is God so I'm going to set out to answer this question out of Matthew chapter 13. And if you're a student of the word, you should understand, know what is recorded in Matthew 13. There are seven parables recorded in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of God. Seven parables. And we're going to read one of these parables. And it requires that I read several verses because... First, he tells the parable, then there's an interaction with the disciples, and then he explains the parable uh, to them. And then I'm going to read another passage, which is a key. How many of you know that when you come to a door that's locked, if you don't have the right key, you may be the right person to enter through the door, but if you don't have the right key, you're not going to gain access. Earlier, Joel was trying to unlock the door with a pen. And I said to him, pen, not key. Pen. He knows that something has to go into the lock to either lock it or unlock it. Sometimes we like that. We have the wrong key or even the wrong instrument trying to open a door. 
And this conversation Jesus had with his disciples, he told them something about the parable. And I want you to understand what this something is. Because if you don't understand this, um, your life is going to be difficult in your pursuit of God. Your life's going to be difficult. It's going to be complicated. You may be a good person inherently. You may love God and desire to serve God. But if you don't understand this key and this principle, your journey is going to be difficult and complicated and retarded. Okay? Retarded, is that a good word? Okay. All right. So let's, let's go there. I want to um, help you because it's Matthew 13 from 3 to 23. And uh, I think I'm going to read all of those verses and hopefully um, <clears throat> you would go there with me. All right, I'm going to start in verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables. Let me stop there. A parable is a story where you take something that is known to explain something that is unknown. Okay? So that's a parable. When you have an audience that don't have a connection with the context you're trying to teach. If I'm trying to teach you a subject, for example, if we're going to talk about outer space, and I don't think any of us has been in outer space. So now we're trying to explain a context, that, a content that is difficult to relate to because we haven't got any experience about that context. And now we must find some parallels in the natural that we already have an understanding about to try and find in that some truth that we can use to convey this thing that we don't understand. So that's the purpose of a parable. Jesus used many of them because he was, he, he was the greatest teacher of all teachers of Scripture. And he knew exactly what to use depending on his audience. And so here he's using a parable. So now, if you didn't know what a parable is, hopefully you know now. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. That's a terrible waste. If I was the farmer and I noticed that happening, I would stop sowing. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundredfold, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times that which was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, here's another statement. All normal human beings have ears. Check, make sure. You have them, two of them. Why would Jesus use the statement? Because some have ears, but it doesn't work. Okay? 
there's a difference between hearing and listening. So what he's saying to them is, if you have a pair of ears, listen attentively. Because you've got to use them, not just to hear the sound in the room, but to listen attentively to what is being said. There's a complete difference. In order to listen, you need to focus. In order to hear, you don't even have to pay attention. You just hear there's a sound in the room, and you don't have to pay attention to it. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, remember this is the first parable he's now teaching, and the disciples observed that he has changed his method of teaching. And they asked him, why do you do this? Up till now, he was speaking to us, you know, you were quoting the Torah, he was showing us different things, and now you're changing how you do it. And why do you do it? It's a good question, isn't it? If I was a disciple of a person, I am a disciple of a person, I've asked my disciple many times, why have you said that? When I drive Apostle John home from a meeting, I interview him in the car on the way to the hotel. I said, now you made a statement today. Why did you say that? This is how I understand it. You've used the scripture out of context. I've said to them many times. You've used the scripture out of context. And his response to me is always the same. I'm not a theologian. You're trying to put me in a theological box. I speak out of revelation. Okay? So it's a good question to ask a disciple. Why have you said that? Why have you done that? Why have you changed the mode of operandi? Okay? So here they're asking him. Then he replied, the knowledge, rather, and the secret of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's the key. Secrets of the kingdom are only shared with the disciple, not with an adherent, not someone that has a casual relationship with the Lord. Whoever has will be given more. And who will have and will have an abundance. Now, what is the context here? I've heard people use this many times when it talks about natural material things. The people that have, they end up with more, and the people that don't have end up with less. No, he's talking. Stay in the context. He's talking about revelation. He's not talking about money. Okay? Even the 36, the 100 people use when they receive offerings. If you give this, you can receive it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about revelation. Stick to the point. Don't use the scripture out of context. Okay? There's no verse of scripture that you can back that point up but it says if you give 100 rands, you're going to get 100 times more or 60 times more, 30 times more. There's no other scripture in the context of the scriptures that say that. You're using it out of context. Okay? So here he's saying the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given unto you but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he who have will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, what revelation, even what he has will be taken from him. How can he say that? Because the birds of the air comes to take it. That's why they don't have. Okay? Are you still with me? Okay. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing, they see not. A paradox. Though hearing, they, he they do not hear or understand. They hear a sound, but they don't understand it because their ears are not tuned to the frequency of the sound. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be um, ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Okay, there's the key. He's explaining why this condition prevailed. The people, this people's heart has become calloused. And the heart is hard. That's why it cannot. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. There's the key. But blessed are you, or blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears, because they hear. He's not talking about their physical eyes and physical ears. He's talking about spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Okay? Because they hear and see. For I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see. What is he talking about? Prophets prophesied about the coming of Messiah. They longed to see him. They longed to hear him teach. He said, many have longed for what you are experiencing. He's talking about the group around him. Are you with me? Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see and what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Which message? Of the kingdom. The evil one comes to snatch it away. The evil one doesn't want any person to understand this mystery. Because to understand this mystery means you understand the lordship of Christ. It means you understand that he is the universal government of all of the purposes of God. He doesn't want you to understand that. This is the seed sown along the path. No farmer in his right mind show, sow seed on a path, on a pavement. There's no logic in that. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at all and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. If you've ever done any, um, you know, if you practice any uh, horticulture, have you worked with plants? I know you are all city people. You don't even have a cat. Okay. <laughs> have a pot plant. Okay. If you have something of that nature, you'll understand how much care it, it needs in order for it to flourish. Okay. So here he talks about root. If there's not a proper root system, the plant can't be healthy. 
He says, when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell amongst the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it. Can you see that picture? Can you create a mental picture? Worries and wealth and deceitfulness choking the person, and they're standing on their little tiptoes while they're being choked. Okay. All right. It says, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let's stop there, and then you flip over to Mark chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read just one verse. Mark Matthew, Mark, the next book, chapter 4, only verse 13. Mark records the same parable, but there's a verse in this parable that's not in Matthew, and I want to use this verse here in Mark. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? He's talking to his disciples. How then will you understand any parable? Are you with me? What is Jesus saying? He says, if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you can't understand the other six parables in this chapter. Because this parable of the sower is the key that unlocks the other six. So if you don't understand this one, the other six remain sealed. They may as well be a sealed scroll. You may see the, the natural knowledge in it, but you cannot see the spiritual um, parallels in them. So we're going to look at this because I believe the Lord will help us to understand this more clearly. So when we talk about the prophetic, now this particular parable Jesus used was talked about the seed is the word in general. But I want to narrow it into the prophetic today and just talk about the prophetic, about it's the same principle. Okay? The prophetic word um, can be likened to that seed and it must fall in the ground before it can bring forth fruit. You know that already. You may have beautiful seed in a jar and put it on a shelf and you can say, I have seeds for a pomegranate tree. And you can put a picture of the pomegranate tree on the jar in which the seeds are. But you're never going to have a pomegranate tree or any fruit if the seed remains in the jar. So the only way in which seed can come to fruition is it must be placed in soil, sunlight must be available, and water must be present. You know, they, when they found the in the grave or the, in the pyramids in Egypt, they found the grave of Tutankhamun, one of the great um, pharaohs of Egypt. Now, the pharaohs believed in reincarnation. And so they would take seeds of all of the, of the plants and all of the fruits that they like, and they would take it with them into their grave so that when they are reincarnated, they can plant it again. 
So when they found the seeds in Tutankhamun, because he was not reincarnated, because nobody gets to be reincarnated, the Bible says it's for man appointed to live once, and thereafter death, and then judgment. So they found the seed, and the seeds were several thousand years old. This is incredible. They put it, they exposed it to soil, sunlight, and water, and it germinated, and it produced. Because that's all seed knows what to do. In the right conditions, it produced the right results. For all those thousands of years it was in those jars, kept in that grave, it was trapped. It couldn't do what it was designed to do. It's the same when we talk about the purpose of God, the seed of the word. Before seed can bear fruit, the seed must first become a healthy plant or a tree. We sometimes miss the process. We see the seed, and we desire the fruit, and we don't understand between seed and fruit. There has to be a plant or a tree that can produce the fruit. So there's a process. The analogy of the word of God being likened to a seed is taught throughout scripture. This is not a new idea that Jesus was using here. It's throughout scripture. The idea of the seed as word is taught. And so Jesus takes the same analogy in the parable of Matthew 13. I want us to look at this important matter of your response to receiving a prophetic word in the good soil of your inner heart. Good soil of your inner heart. Because the condition of the soil has an impact on the result of the plant and the fruit. If you take a good plant, healthy plant, and you plant, decide to plant it near the ocean, where the soil is more um, alkaline, where it doesn't have the potential to produce good things. You can see the vegetation that you see next to the ocean, the type of grass that grows there. Um, it's not, there's no fruit there. Sometimes there are little flowers that, that would come out at a certain time of the year, a certain season, but they don't stay long because the soil has a direct impact upon what can be produced there. So we have to talk about good soil of our inner heart, and we have to look at what are some of the things. Matthew 13, the passage I've just read, teaches us about four attitudes of the heart. This is what the soil is, four attitudes of the heart. Four kinds of soil, four attitudes of the heart that, that brings a different or a varied kind of result to the same word. This is the essential thing. Remember always, there's nothing wrong with a seed. The seed is eternal. The seed has its origins in God. And so the seed is designed to produce a certain result in our lives, but the result is either hindered are completely annihilated depending on the condition of the soil in which the seed is placed. 
So how we respond to a prophetic word is impacted by the four types of soil that's in the heart. Matthew 13 verse 19, I've just read it a moment ago, let me read it again. When anyone reheareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That is, this is he which receives seed by the wayside. In other words, the wayside here, when we talk about the wayside, we're talking about the condition of the soil. I mentioned it earlier, this seed falling on a pathway. So firstly, we find that this soil speaks of the type of heart that is not given to cultivate the word of God in the midst of spiritual blindness. So here, the good word of the Lord comes to us. But because in this particular aspect or area of my life, I have a blindness or a blind spot. You've heard the term, we all have blind spots. And so when the word comes to a blind spot in your life, it doesn't find entrance into your life. Because the condition of the heart may be fertile for other aspects of the word of the Lord, but for this particular aspect of the word of the Lord, the heart is hard. It cannot receive the word in that particular aspect. The wayside was the path alongside the roads and the highways between cities, etc. This is the, the path that people walked daily. They walked on that path. They walked. And so you can imagine if someone would put seed on that path, they, they're going to trample upon the seed and they're going to ruin it. And, and the birds of the air. The other day we were somewhere, when we were away for a couple of days, we were staying at a hotel, and in and, and this particular hotel, the birds in the area, the small little birds, um, what are they called? Nuh-uh. -uh. Mm -hmm. Wait, mossies. What is the mossy and ungles? Mossies. Okay. <laughs> they would come into the room and they knew exactly where they kept the bread in the breakfast room. And the crumbs, when people would toast the bread, the crumbs would fall there and they would sit on the rafters in the room and wait. As soon as the person stepped away from the toaster, they would come and just feast on it. And as someone approached, they'd fly away and go sit on the rafter. They know exactly what to do, when to do. And so, I want you to understand demonic spirits observe us as people and when the seed of the word doesn't fall into the soil of your heart, they quickly rush over to take it so that it doesn't produce in you what God wants it to produce. A seed falling on this ground would lie on top of the surface, not being able to sprout as a seed that has fallen on cultivated ground. It's just lying on top of the surface. What does that mean? When the seed lies on top of the surface, this is what it means uh, to me. It means that I am, with my natural mind, trying to interpret the eternal purposes of God, and if it doesn't make sense to my finite mind, I reject it. You see, 
The Bible says the natural mind cannot receive the things of the spirit. Your intellect cannot because your intellect, even if you have a high IQ, you cannot receive the things of the spirit through your mind. The things of the spirit is communicated by the spirit to our spirits. Then your spirit has to educate your mind about the purposes of God. That's why when ministry is, is done in the soulless realm, if, if, I, if I would stand here and minister simply out of the soul, out of my emotions, out of my intellect, and you receive that because as a human you would come on the same plane, and then we just have dialogue, and then you would have some knowledge when you leave the place, but it has not touched your spirit. And because of that, you would reason with some things, and then you would say, all right, that was a nice meeting. Okay, see you next time. But it has not affected chains in the most significant part of your being, in your spirit, because you're designed to be in a relationship with God, and God is a spirit. And therefore, by his spirit, he, Jesus said, my words are spirit. Spirit and life. And so the word of the Lord is first spirit that produces life. And so God's word by his spirit enters the spirit of the human and then seek to bring chains in the physical body and in the soul realm, world emotions and intellect. But if it comes, if it gets stuck in my mind, in my soul realm, it will not grant permission for the word to reach my spirit. Because if it doesn't make sense to my mind, I will not give it permission to do change in my spirit. That's why it's essential that the heart be cultivated. So that the heart is more dominant than the head. The seed does not penetrate the person's understanding because he or she is given to the natural mind and the ways of the world. This is sad because there are many Christians that are basically carnal. The Bible says the carnal mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit. In other words, we have intellectual knowledge about God, about the things of God, about the purposes of God, but it makes no change in how we function. Carnal mind cannot receive the things of the spirit. Cannot is not is not sometimes. This is an you could put an exclamation mark here. A carnal-minded person cannot receive the things of the spirit. Why? Because the soul realm is the dominant realm. You see, as a believer, you can either be spiritual or soulish. You can't be both. Of course, you can be a mixture, but if the soul dominates your life, every good thing that God is speaking is first processed through the soul. How does it feel? How does it, what does it do to my emotions? You know, what is the outcome? What changes do I have to make? Am I willing to make the changes? And you calculate all of these things and in the end you say, I can hear what God is saying, but this is not really for me or for now. Because we're reasoning with our intellect. Because we will not allow the word to find entrance into our hearts. This is the kind of person that's not seeking after God's word. Or bringing God into the routine of their daily life. 
routine of your daily life. In other words, they don't have a daily devotion to God. They don't spend time in the word daily. They don't spend time in prayer daily. They don't worship God daily. This is something, it's, it's for a Sunday excursion. And when that happens, we stifle the potential of what God wants to do within us. It's not because there's a major deterrent in our lives at times. It's just that we simply don't have a desire to follow the Lord. Or in this particular area. If you compartmentalize your life, you can understand that there are certain areas in which we willingly surrender to the Lord, and there are certain areas that we say, no, not that, that one. <laughs> you know, the door has a no entry sign on, and we say to the Lord, I'm sorry, that's where I keep my skeletons, don't go there, you know, please, <laughs> I beg of you, don't ever go into that room, <laughs> I don't allow anybody in there, even I don't go there, you know. When, when there are areas in our life that is go, that's no-go zones to the Lord, uh, these are areas that we become infertile to the things of God and we cannot prosper there because we don't allow the Lord to go there and to speak into that situation they seek to interpret the things of the spirit with their natural mind and that's difficult and it's it's not prudent verse 20 and 21 I'm reading it again. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and um, they receive it with joy, yet hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Okay, now, this is one of the things you have to learn about walking with the Lord. To guard your heart, not to become offended to the things that God asks you to do. You say, can I become offended to what God asked me to do? Yes, we can. And yes, we do. Okay? Um, and so, it's essential here, it says that in the second kind of soil, it has to do with soil but it also has to do with root, the root of a tree. Do you know that a healthy tree, when you look at a tree, let's say the tree is two meters high, the root system is one meter. You always, you can take the height of a tree and divide it into three, and that is the depth of the root system. So, when you look at your own life, because one of the ways in which you are described in the scripture is a tree. Psalm 1. It tells you. And when the tree is planted at living waters, the tree has leaves that doesn't wither. It even gives its fruit in season and out of season. In other words, you go to this tree in winter, it's not supposed to have fruit on it, but you still find fruit. It may be small, but it still has fruit because it produces throughout the year. Because it is rooted within good soil, it's rooted within a good irrigation system. That's God's heart for us. That there would never be a season in your life, never be a period of your life in which you do not produce any fruit. Because if you properly root it, and your root system goes down properly into the soil, there should never be a time when you cannot produce any good thing for God. 
So the second kind of soil speaks of an indifferent heart which has no roots of Christ-like character. My focus here is on the word indifferent heart. Indifferent. What does it mean to be indifferent? It means that you have no particular interest in a thing. It doesn't really bother you. You can say, I can say to you, for example, that I am indifferent to soccer. All of the teams playing around the whole world, I'm indifferent to it. I don't even have a team that I support. I'm not against soccer, and I'm not against people that have teams and that support teams and that watch soccer. That's not my issue. My issue is I am indifferent. I'm indifferent to who play, when they play, why they play, if they play, and if they don't play, it makes no difference to me. I don't set my schedule according to it. I don't have a calendar for it. For this particular incident or, or situation, I'm indifferent. I may have a different attitude to a different sport. Know, where I am less indifferent, maybe, to the Blue Bulls, which is my team. You know, I never changed since I left Pretoria and came back to Cape Town. I never supported the Western uh, Cape. What is it called? Stormers. I don't even know the name. My father-in-law and I was watching a, a, a game years ago. No, we weren't watching together. He was watching at home and I was watching. We were living in Pretoria. And he, we were speaking on the phone. He said, our team did well. No, no, he said, the game was still ongoing. And, and he didn't know that I supported the Blue Bulls. That was the day that revelation came out. And I said to him, my team is doing well. It's really whatever was happening. He said, there was silence on the other end. It's like he's saying, you're a betrayer. How can you betray the Western Cape? I said, I'm living in Gauteng. I support the Gauteng team. Now, I've never... Now, the Blue Bulls to me is like a brother who's in jail. You know about him, but you don't talk about him. You know? <laughs> so I don't even know what they're doing at the moment. But if I have an interest to watch the game again, and my time permits it, I'll, I'll do it. I'm less indifferent to rugby than what I am to soccer. I'm trying to make a point. You see, you can be indifferent even to God or indifferent to a certain aspect of the truth, just like you can be less indifferent to one aspect of the truth than what you are to another. And so this particular problem here is because when we are indifferent, we do not grow roots for that aspect of truth. Your root system doesn't go down in the soil. Okay? So because, let me give you more meanings for this word, indifferent. It means to be apathetic about something. It also means to be uncaring about it or to be casual about it. Or here's a big word, nonchalant, that doesn't care. I don't just care. It doesn't make no difference to me. It's no, it's, there's water on a duck's back. It makes no difference to me. I've shut myself off to this. And unless the Lord writes with his own finger on the wall about this thing, nothing is going to happen in my life about this because... I have switched off my emotions with regards to this aspect of the revelation of God's purpose. In this type of soil, the word takes root that because the ground is stony, loose and gravelly, the roots can't take hold 
and form a strong root structure. So this is the kind of, if you've done any gardening, there's some um, type of uh, grass that if you grab it, you can just pull lightly, you can pull it out because the root system is just that small. Okay? Yet there are others where the root system is quite deep. You have to take a spade to get it out. Okay? So because the roots can't hold it, it can't hold down this plant, it can't hold down uh, uh, this tree, it cannot produce what it's designed to do. The believer receives the word with initial enthusiasm and joy and it begins to grow within him or her. So I receive the word, I receive a prophetic word, I receive the word of the Lord, I rejoice because I like what I'm hearing. But when problems come, when persecution comes, when people question you, did the Lord really say that over your life? And now you begin to say, well, you know, I was not really sure. I was beginning to wonder myself. Because now you have to justify yourself in the conversation because someone who has come from the angle of their intellect or their emotions is questioning what you believe you've received from God. And now you begin to join the person in their unbelief. Because the root system didn't go down of the word. It cannot stand. Trials come, and the person is easily swayed, and the word is uprooted. That's no longer there. It did fall into the soil, but the soil was not properly prepared. There were stones in the soil. The soil was gravelly. It was a mixture of soil. There were some stones in the ground. What are some? The biggest stone that can be in the ground of any person's life is called pride. That's a big stone to roll away. Pride will hinder us to receive the good word of the Lord. Pride will hinder us to allow the word of the Lord to become an implanted word of the Lord. Pride will stand against us. Laziness is another thing. When you are too lazy to meditate upon the word, to allow the word of the Lord to fill your entire being, to begin to fill your imagination, to begin to fill your dream world. When you don't manage yourself properly with regards to the word. When you're someone who just wings it, when I get there, I'll just see what happens. That's not productive. That doesn't produce what God is after. So yes, the, the seed fall in the ground. It receives sunlight. It receives water. It begins to grow. There's some evidence that the seed is growing. It's beginning to produce some kind of tree. But then comes the wind. Then comes the storm. Then comes the snow. Then comes the conditions that now fights against the existence of this plant. you look again, it's withered. It's dead. It's gone. It no longer has a potential to do anything. These two verses contain two very important principles in receiving the word of the Lord. I want to share them with you. The first of all, a person receiving a prophetic word 
must understand that its fulfillment depends as much on the power of the prophetic word received as it does on the heart condition of the recipient. So a powerful prophet can speak a powerful word to a person whose soil condition is not good and the powerful word lands on a soil that is not fertile to receive the word and even though the word has come with its full potential, it does not produce what God wants it to produce. It just falls by the wayside. If we have no character roots and no depth of integrity in our hearts, and if our hearts are hard and shallow, the word sowed in our lives will dwell within only, in our only temporarily. Okay. Now, let me pause for a moment. Think for a moment. Um, ten days ago, nine, ten days ago, you've received the prophetic word if he was in the meeting. What have you done up till now about that word? How many times have you listened to it? Have you written it out? Have you changed things in your life that hinders the fulfillment of the word? We're talking about soil and what's in the rock bed of the soil. What is rather, what is in the bed of the soil? What is in there? And some of the things that's in the soil can be carelessness. You know, well, people are so arrogant that they would say, if God says it, then God must do it. Well, let me help you. If that's what comes out of your mouth, you are in deep trouble because you have no reverence for who God is. When God speaks something, it's because he has every intention for you to have the fruition of what comes out of his mouth. His word is alive. It's full of power. But we have to have a certain response to the word, a certain attitude to the word, a certain humility to the word, so that it can produce in us what God wants to produce. Now, let's think for a moment. For us in this room, we've been serving the Lord for different periods of time. Let's say six months to maybe 40 years. 40 plus years. So that's a big scope, is it? In that scope of time, if we all applied ourselves correctly, biblically correctly, then all of us should be much further down the track than what we are now, if we're honest. Of course, you can lie to yourself. If we received the word of the Lord and managed it differently, how many of you realize you have to manage the word? Because you have to manage yourself in the process. This is why Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, all of the book is sealed. Because this book is intended to be transferred from this content 
to the heart of the believer. If it does not end up in my heart, it cannot produce the change that God is after. How do I know when the word is in someone's heart? It comes out of their mouth. I can ask you which book of the Bible are you reading at the moment and you can tell me. But when I listen to you, I can tell you what book you are not reading. Because if it really has an impact upon you, it changes how you speak, what you say, how you conduct yourself. If the word really finds root in us. Amen. That's, that's the essence of the story. This is what Jesus was telling his disciples because he realized, I have three and a half years with these guys. I've spent the first half year now. I'm going to spend the next three years with them. But they better understand that if they don't get this right, we are not going to get the mission right. We are not going to get the kingdom proclaimed, the kingdom established. We are not going to get the message spread across the whole earth. They have to understand this. So do we. If we don't understand this, the whole mission can abort. Because we don't understand how God operates in us and through us. An indifferent heart will not allow a person to become rooted in the word. Indifferent, nonchalant, don't care. Okay? Rooted in the word, which means when the, root, the word is rooted in me, the Bible says it's the implanted word of the Lord that's able to save me. It's not the word that I just read or quote. The word must be planted within me. Then it can change me. Also, we can be obstruct the Lord by not giving him free course in our lives. But as I said earlier, you can have certain areas of your life that's reserved and which you say, don't speak here, don't, don't knock on this door. You don't want to get in here. It's really going to ruin our relationship. You know, let's just keep this one sealed. A person that has an open heart, open mind, open relationship with the Lord removes all the doors and there are no, en are no areas that it's got no entry signs on it. Everything is open before him. Now, the interesting thing is, whatever is behind this closed door, the Lord knows anyway. So, the essential thing is to learn how to give him free cause in our lives. We have to listen faster. I notice the time. The second important principle brought out by Jesus in verse 21, is that when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately the word falls away. In other words, when a person argues with you, let's say that you are beginning to receive the message of the kingdom, and a person asks you, so then, you guys believe in the kingdom? And you say, well, yeah. So then, what is the kingdom? Well, don't know. You know, the person says, are you Jehovah's Witness? No. Well, <laughs> you know, not really. Okay. Look, we talk about something else. 
when persecution comes, the Bible says you must be able to give an account of the faith that is in you. In other words, you must be able to intellectually communicate truth that is within your spirit so that someone else can understand it. So a student of the word is somebody who takes the time to spend time in the word. To record what God is saying to them. This is one church where I minister in New York. And they embarrass me sometimes, the people in that church, because they are scribes. Scribes, these people, they sit there and they can make notes, shorthand or whatever. They, they write profusely, they write pages and pages and pages, they write while I minister the word. And recently, maybe on this visit or the previous visit, I can't remember when I was in Delhi, one of the members of the church came to me and said, in 2007, you ministered this word to us here. Now, this is maybe 2017, 10 years later. However, I observe that you have grown spiritually because you've added more dimensions in the word ministry and the Lord has revealed more things to you about this word. Ten years ago, the person could flip in their notes and say, that's what God spoke ten years ago. But I hear some additional things that God is saying now that he didn't say then because I didn't know those things or I haven't understood those things or I haven't grown spiritually to that point where I could communicate those things. That is when people are good soil of the word. They understand what God wants to do and they give themselves to the process. They understand. This is a strong apostolic company of people that work established 40 years ago. I had a good apostolic father who has gone to be with the Lord, who discipled me in some things in the purposes of God. But he trained them. They understood what needs to happen in order for the word to take root. Whenever we receive a word from the Lord, we receive the potential for that word to be tested and tried. And therefore, affliction and persecution will arise in our lives. In other words, when God speaks to us through the written word or through the rhema, the prophetic word, when God speaks a word to your life, he also releases the grace for us to endure the testing that will come with the word. Because the word may require of me to have certain things uprooted within my life. Or for me to make certain changes in my life. Or for me to make certain changes in how I view the purposes of God. Whatever is required, when the word comes, it always comes and makes demands for change. It requires then to know that it's going to be tested within us. When Paul wrote to Timothy, and I quoted this verse last week, 1 Timothy 1.18, he said, prepare for warfare, 
with God's prophetic word at hand. Which means that when a word is spoken over your life, you must understand this word is not going to fulfill itself. You have to populate the heavens with the word. How do you do that? Through prayer, through prophesying the word back to God. Through declaring what God has said about you. For in changing how you think of yourself and how you think about the word of the Lord over your life. You have to do that. No one else can do that for you. That's why Paul said to Timothy, prepare for warfare with the prophetic word. Why? The demonic principalities and powers heard of the word. There was some meeting held because some demonic spirits is present when the word is ministered. They come to hear what God is speaking about his purposes. To strategize how to hinder the word from coming into fruition in your life. You have to understand, in order for the word to be established within you, you have to be vigilant. You have to be awake. You have to implement the word. You have to declare the word, prophesy the word. You have to speak this over your own life in order for it to come into fruition. If there's no roots in ourselves or strength to wage a good warfare with a word received in times of affliction... And persecution, the word will immediately fall away from us because we say, you see, naturally we are inclined to resist um, affliction. We don't want trouble. So when trouble comes, we find, what must I do to avoid the trouble, to get the trouble out of my life? Oh, I must drop the word. Drop the word. Get out of the trouble. Why should I have trouble in my life because of this word? Let me get rid of the word, then I have peace. You see, that's exactly what it was designed to do. For you to abandon the word so that you have some kind of false peace. I said to a man recently who wrote me a message and he said to me that he decided um, he was visiting here for a while and then uh, he said to me, I've decided not to visit the church any longer in order to have peace in my home. I said to him, what you have in your home is not peace. You have a denial of the reality of who Christ is. Peace is submission to the revealed counsels of God to your life. When you submit yourself to what God revealed to you about his intent for your life, you enter into the peace of God. It's not to live in denial of what God is saying. That's not peace. I'm still waiting for his response. If the word is stolen from us, we will be like one who has never received the word at all. It's like that word. <laughs> what word? It's gone. Verse 22 of chapter 13 says, the third kind of Soil is the hard attitude of incomplete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is um, 
completely incorruptible, good, and it comes from God. But if the soil is not cultivated, it cannot bring forth the seed. If you take an apple seed and you plant it at the ocean, next, it's not going to produce. The seed, it's the soil that's wrong. It must be in the right soil. Hearts must be prepared and activated, or rather cultivated, so that the word received from God will not be choked out or stunted in its growth. Have you seen a tree that's stunted? The Japanese have this way of growing little trees. Bonsai trees. I've seen a bonsai orange tree. It produces little oranges, just like that. Small little oranges, cute. But it produces, you can't eat it. It's just for decorative purposes. That's not why God designed it. Some Christians are like that. They are stunted in their growth and they produce fruit, but it's just a little bit small. It's not, not even when the Lord comes to the tree and lifts up the leaves to find something. He needs to use a magnifying glass to see what it is. Because the purpose for the word is that the seed may fall into the good soil of your heart so that it may produce a fruit that the Lord can rejoice over. When he comes to, he says, my father is the husband man. He's in other words, he cultivates the soil. This is what, we are here this morning. What am I doing? I'm plowing the land. I'm working. Giving you instruction in how to prepare the soil so that the word of the Lord can fi find fertile soil in you. Because there's nothing wrong with the word. The problem is always with us. Never with God. So if the word doesn't produce in me, it's not because there's something wrong with God. It's always me. It's always us. Okay. The spirit of the world has a way of hindering the word of the Lord from coming forth in us. And when we have not weeded out from our hard ground, thorns of deceitfulness and materialism and thorns of anxiety and worry will choke out the prophetic word and it cannot produce fruit. Two things. Deceitfulness of materialism and anxiety and worry. These are two very powerful things to hinder us and these, both of these things are rooted in the world. In other words, if you are yet, you know, 50% in the world and 50% in Christ... The seedfulness of riches says, I have to prioritize my life in such a way that I must make sure that I have all of the material things in life that I believe I should have. Is it wrong to have material things? No. Is it wrong to have the wrong priority? Yes. God is not against the idea of us having material goods. In fact, it's part of the covenantal blessing of God. The Bible says that <clears throat> it's very clear in Scripture. It says it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich 
and adds no sorrow. He says, but the things that we seek to do is the thing that we misinterpret the, 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 the processes. What makes rich? You can never work yourself rich. You can try. Tell me in 10 years' time. What you need to... And then also we talk about rich, of riches. That also needs interpretation because when I say the word riches, you think money. Money is not riches, it's paper. Riches is produced by money. Wealth is created by money. It's what you do with it that can create those things. By itself, it can't do nothing, it's neutral. You have to understand that when you, this is why the Lord, in teaching the kingdom, said to the people, you have to learn to seek the kingdom first. God doesn't do very well with second or third place. He's a champion, you know. He's a gold medalist. He always wants to be first. He always wants to stand at the center podium you know, of our life. He's a gold medalist. So when you give him silver and bronze, that he says, mm -mm, I don't like silver and bronze. I'm a gold kind of person. I want to be first. That's why I say seek to put the Lord first. When he says seek the kingdom first, let me help you. It says seek to put the kingdom first. You have to seek the kingdom, yeah? It's not obviously. You don't stumble into it. Having found it, you must give it its right priority in your life. Because even the kingdom is not designed to be second or third. It doesn't like that. It doesn't want to be put in the wrong pigeonhole. Let's move on. I need to find some kind of exit point. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with the unfulfilled prophetic word that has been sown into your life and generated by the Spirit. You see, I've highlighted the word generated by the Spirit and I've underlined it. Last week's word, I explained to you how to understand and how to evaluate a prophetic word. I'm using just a simple statement. There's nothing wrong with the unfulfilled prophetic word that has been generated by the Spirit of God. In other words, it came from the throne of God. The problem is not with God, it's not with the prophet, because this is what we normally do. When the prophecy is unfulfilled, we say that prophet is a liar. You see, we learn how to apportion blame. He didn't hear properly from God. I don't think it was God. You have to take your hand and put it within your own bosom and say, did I manage myself and the word properly to give it every potential opportunity to be fulfilled? Or did I act nonchalantly? The problem occurs when we do not tear down and destroy the thorns and the thistles that were dwelling within our hearts to make room for the good word of God and to, to bring forth fruit. Thorns and thistles. What are thorns and thistles? We've just said what it is. Worldliness. Pursuit of riches. You know, 
when there's worry, concern. You know, you can even worry, how's the word going to be fulfilled? When is it going to be fulfilled? You know, when you plant the seed and you dig it up every day, it's not going to do well with, you know. When is it going to be? Oh, Jesus, I've waited three hours already. You know, it's like someone who learns to bake. They open the oven every time. It's like they cook near. <laughs> you have to learn to wait. That said, 180 minutes. You know, however long, 180 degrees, you know, for 60 minutes, they cook gang brand. The word, the word of God should have complete reign in our lives. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Somebody say added to you. It will be added to you. This doesn't mean that we don't pursue excellence or we don't pursue our careers or we don't pursue work and discipline. But we understand that we are not under the curse of Adam. You must understand this. The curse has been broken. Amen? Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, then you work from the sweat of your brow. If, if you understand the curse has been broken, you understand a covenant has been established. And now, out of the fruition of the covenant and out of my faith and my works, I produce the result that God is after for my life because I'm a covenant person. God does his part and I do my part. Faith and works, James says, without faith, your works produce nothing. Without work, your faith produces nothing. You need both. Amen? Faith and works. We've got to remove the things that hinder the word from taking root. If one has rooted out the thorns and the thistles and has put God first, there is nothing wrong with the riches which come as a natural outgrowth of God blessing us. There's nothing wrong with it. Would you rather be poor or blessed? I know you're going to choose that. Who wants to be poor? It's not even convenient. Even the, ask any poor person. Ask them, do you want to be poor or you want to be rich? They say, rich. They scream it out, rich. At a high pitched voice, rich. You know? They don't want to be poor. They understand what it means to be poor. They are poor. It's not convenient to be poor. It's not God's plan for you to be poor. But God wants to be involved in the process of breaking the yoke of poverty and establishing you in wealth. Otherwise, he's not going to get the honor for it. Verse 23, but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bring forth some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. The fourth kind of soil it's the soil that the word of the Lord will fall upon. It's the soil of good and an honest heart. The word honest in the Greek means sound, 
and healthy. It also means praiseworthy, pure, and without hypocrisy or pretension. It means when your heart is pure, when you've rooted out all the things that was there before you came to the Lord, God has placed his finger on it. The word has illuminated you. You've seen, it's not good for me to be like this. I must get these things out of my life. And you see, by the way, following the Lord Jesus Christ is not a DIY project. It's not a self-help program like the world. It's not mind over matter. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's fundamental to understand that following the Lord Jesus Christ has to do with me receiving the grace of God to bring about the transformation that is needed in my life. God never asks you to change yourself in your own strength. If you're trying to do that, it's a futile exercise. You're wasting your time and you're wasting God's time. All of the changes that God requires to happen within us is always by the power of his might. It's not by might, it's not by your own strength, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. So God wants to have the credit for the chains that needs to take place within us. Because He, through the Holy Spirit, is working the sanctification that needs to take place within us. He's the Spirit of sanctification. You must allow Him to do it. The good soil of the honest heart is a person who can hear the word and understand it. Hearing is one thing, understanding is another. What follows understanding? Application. Without application, in the Jewish idiom of learning, until application has taken place, no learning has taken place. Until you do what the Word instructs you to do, you've learned nothing. You've wasted your time. Hearing, understanding, and then applying, and that what follows? Wisdom. Wisdom is birthed out of our application of the wisdom of God that is in His Word. In which you learn I'm reading 1 Kings at the moment. I'm reading about Solomon and about his wisdom. And I was, the other day I saw it, I didn't even know that before. I didn't know that. I, I admit that to you. I've read the Bible for 40 years. I didn't know that. Solomon's wisdom was not just about God and about the temple and about you know, governance and authority. His wisdom was even about the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, even about those species that live um, in the oceans. He, the Bible says every living king on the earth sent the delegation to Solomon to learn. Like he was like the master professor on the face of the earth. Everybody wanted to sit at his feet. And the same Solomon said, it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. You see, God wants to give us wisdom not just about his purposes, but about your assignment, about your career, about 
I know God knows everything about everything. You know? We were driving down. I was driving down from Johannesburg with my car some years back. And I got to outside of Colesburg. And the car began to uh, miss. So I pulled over on the side of the road. Now, I know nothing about mechanics. I know there's a battery and there's an engine. That's what I know. And there's a radiator and you need water and oil. Those things I know. So I opened the hood of the car and I asked the Lord, Lord, oh, what's wrong with this car? He said, the rotor is broken. I said, the rotor is broken? I know it's got a rotor. That sends the fire to the engine. I know that I was at school. I missed, didn't miss that class. So I drove to the workshop there and I said to the mechanic, the rotor is broken. Do you know what he did? He stripped the petrol pump. We sat there for hours until at the end of the day he said to me, I'm going to reassemble your car and just give it back to you because I can't find the fault. So I've learned how to drive the car with a broken rotor. You have to keep your foot on the gas the whole time. You're burning a lot more petrol. So I drove the car from Colesburg to Cape Town. I got to the mechanic here in Cape Town. I said, the rotor is broken. He opened the cap, the rotor fell out. It's broken. You see? God knows everything about everything. Do you think God doesn't know about cars? He's the one who inspired the person who built the car. Can you understand that? All wisdom comes from God. So don't think God is an old man who sits on a throne who's rubbing his thumbs. He knows everything about everything. You're sitting in front of your computer, you don't understand how to use the software, ask him. He can tell you. God knows about Windows. You know that? You know? He knows about Excel. You know, ask him. He says, I, I forgot how to do this. Tell me again. He says, do that, do that, do that. You can learn. God will tell you. We have to cultivate a heart attitude of honesty and integrity. We will receive the seed of the word of God and it will bring forth fruit every time without fail. Can you imagine being in a situation in your life where every week, every time you receive word, it produces fruit in you? Because that's the mind of God. He wants you to produce fruit. Because what is it that God is after? He wants you to understand that he has a desire for your life to be fruitful because he receives greater um, honor and glory when your life is fruitful. It says, as we learn to heal our lives more completely, the 30-fold becomes 60-fold, and the 60-fold can become 100-fold. So why does it heal 30, 60, and 100 because of the soil. Some soil is somewhat fertile. Some soil is more fertile. Some soil is very fertile. So we're sitting here today, and in your life, in different areas of your life, you're a 30 percenter. In some, you're a 60 percenter. In some, maybe a 100 percenter. You see, God wants these uneven things, the valleys and the, and the heights. He wants them to balance out in your life so that you become a person that produces the highest possible result in God. 
but the soil must be fixed. Have you seen, my wife and I like to drive out in the farm areas on a Saturday out here, Malmesbury, Philadelphia, and those places, and you'll find that there are certain parts the farmers do not plant. You wonder, he would plow around that piece, and he would leave that piece. And under the surface, there are massive rocks, and there are stones, and there are all kinds of things. It's infertile ground next to the fertile ground. He doesn't sow there. He leaves it. You just let it sit there. For us, we can't do that. We can't leave the infertile soil and just let it sit there. You've got to dig up that stones. Remove those things that hinder the seed of God to find root within you. You know, take out that carelessness. Take out pride. Take out the things that offends and things that hinders the word from taking root within you. Take it out. It takes work. Sometimes someone needs to help you to take it out. Here's that magic word you're looking for. <laughs> Adam. Let me quickly transition. The book of James adds another thought about the kind of heart we should have when we receive the word of the Lord. This is James 1, 17 to 25. You can read it at home. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. You said, hang on, save my soul? Didn't the evangelist say when I received Jesus, I, he saved my soul? He lied to you. Your soul wasn't saved that day. Your spirit was made alive unto God when you received Jesus and you received eternal life. Your soul is your will, your emotions, and intellect, and that's what needs to get saved over the process of time. It's the implanted word of the Lord that will save your soul. Amen? What happens if your soul doesn't get saved? I should answer that question for you some other day. You will not inherit the kingdom. You say, Lord, I've spent 20 years in church. He says, good for you, but it didn't work. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude yourselves. The strong term, delude yourself, which means you mislead yourself. You know, some people have gifts to mislead others. They are deceptive. But to mislead yourself, wow, that takes a lot of skill. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. So you look in the mirror while he's shaving. Gentlemen, he's shaving. You're looking in the mirror. And you see you're missing a spot. And you say, okay. And you walk away and you forget someone. Say, you missed a spot. Said, oh, I saw this morning, but I did nothing about it. You know, the ladies, when they do, when you pluck your eyebrows and you, you know, pluck too much <laughs> or too little, you look in the mirror, you know. Because I have a big face, I have a big mirror. And I have another mirror inside my mirror to magnify my mirror, to look at the hair in my nose and see 
how to work with them. <laughs> okay, so the word of God is a mirror. You look into the mirror and you see what's wrong with yourself. The Bible says if you do nothing, you're like somebody who see what needs to be fixed and you just walk away. Now you knot your tie and you put it on and then you look in the mirror and it needs to be adjusted and you just, okay, I like it that way. It's just going to sit like that. And so you go through the day and everybody tell you the whole day, your tie is skew, your tie is skew, your tie is skew. I mean, that must be terrible to go through a day like that. It says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not have, having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Two opposites, forgetful hearer, effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. Doesn't it sound like Psalm 1? This person is going to be blessed if they do this. Because they are planted, bless the Lord. In these verses, Apostle James gave us an account of a man receiving a good word from the Lord. In verse 17, I didn't read 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom no variableness, neither shadow of turning, which means God has designed good gifts for your life. A prophetic word is a gift from God. It's a custom-made gift. Wrapped in beautiful wrapping, beautiful bow on it, just for you, your name's on it. It doesn't fit anyone else. Good gifts coming from God, who is your Father in heaven, to your life. The intent is to bless you and for your life to be adjusted. Sometimes... You need to make just a small adjustment in order for your life to be more fruitful. You know, you're just going off course, but if you're going to go off course and stay off course, even if it's just one degree, eventually you end up somewhere else. When we receive a prophetic word from the Lord, it's a good gift coming from the Father who can only give what is good. Verse 21, James says that by receiving the word with meekness and humility, it will be able to change us and even save us from great destruction and disaster. Isn't that incredible? Years ago, and I'm going to finish now, now, now. Someone asked me one day, an American person who was in our country, said, why do you people say now, now? It's because we mean now, but not yet now. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> Here's a guy I was in prayer. And as I was in prayer, the Lord showed me in my prayer time, there was an aircraft that was in trouble and it was about to crash. And I intensified my prayer for the people, the passengers. It was a small aircraft, maybe an eight-seater, 12-seater, I can't remember private kind of aircraft. The next morning I look at the paper and the front page showed me an aircraft that crashed. But there were lives spared. Why did God burden me to pray for people I've never met before and I've never met since? 
Because there were people on that plane whose lives he wanted to preserve. Amen. You see, the important thing for us to know is prophetic intercession and prophecy is for the preservation from disaster also. If you receive the good word of the Lord, you may be spared many, many days of trials and troubles and tears. Because God knows your future. Amen. Paul also has something to say, because we can't leave Paul out of the picture. The Apostle Paul also adds another scripture to the way a believer should receive the word in Hebrews 2.1. It says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Earnest heed to the things. Heed. The Greek means to lean forward to pay attention. When you speak with some person and they lean forward to listen to you, you know that they're paying attention to what you are saying. If they lean backwards, that means I'm not listening. Okay? He says lean forward, pay close attention, so that nothing slip away and that nothing be wasted. A prophetic word is a personalized word from God to us about a desired outcome that would yield much fruit if received, believed, and acted upon. If you receive the word, believe the word, and act upon the word. I think I've given you enough guidance in the three weeks to help you with regards to how to behave yourself with regards to prophecy. When I spoke to Prophet Denzel in the week, I had a quick cup of coffee with him, Denver rather, on one of the mornings, I forgot which morning, Wednesday morning. I explained to him what I do before a ministry arrived and after the ministry departed. I said, I've been doing this for many years. When Apostle John comes to speak in the church, it takes me four to six weeks to explain what he said. To break it down into smaller chunks so that every person in the congregation can understand it. There's no need for us to teach a new word until the word that has been taught is understood. Amen? So I think this concludes this teaching on the prophetic to help you understand how to manage yourself in this regard. If you have any further questions on this, feel free to talk to me about it. I will seek to help you. But now, it's over into your ambit of responsibility in how you manage yourself in this. It's the soil that's going to determine the fruitfulness of the return of the word. Amen? Well, let me remind you, um, this week, Wednesday past, I think I sent you a text message, a WhatsApp message. Did you receive it? Okay. What was the message? You didn't receive it? Okay. You didn't receive it, Amani? I can see on your face. Your wife told you about it. You have a good secretary. And did you read the message? She did. She's also a good teacher. Did you receive her teaching? 
the message, but not the teaching. Because if you received it, did you act upon it? You did. Good for you. You have another day or two to do it if you haven't done it up till now. You need to listen to the CD. And you have to transcribe it. What does it mean to transcribe? You have to write it out. Have you ever tried to write out the contents of a CD? <laughs> it's hard. Because you have to stop it every time and listen to it again. Can you understand the psychology behind writing it out? By the time you've written it out, you've listened to that CD about 20 times. Of that track. You need to write it out. And then on Tuesday evening in discipleship, we're going to deal with it over the next couple of weeks, even when I'm not here, to help understand the contents of the prophecy for you and also for the rest of us. There's a word Paul wrote to the, Coron the, to the Corinthians, I almost said the Coronians, the Corinthians. <laughs> he said, henceforth, I will know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. What does that mean? To know someone after the flesh means you know them by personal observation. To know someone by the Spirit means you know them by what the Spirit says about them. Two different things. Paul says, I choose not to know you by observation, but to know you by the Spirit. Through prophecy, you can come to know your brothers and sisters by the Spirit. So that you know what the mind of God is for them, and you can correctly relate to the grace of God in them according to that. Are you with me? That's why the exercise is not just for every person to understand the prophecy over their own life, but for all of us to understand what God is saying about everybody. Amen? Can you understand that? Have you ever been in a church where that has been done? No. This is the best church on earth. Do you know that? I wish the people could understand that. <laughs> I'm just... Adam, did you laugh? It's, it's Matthew. I forgive you, Matthew. I was going to give you a gift for your birthday, but I've now revoked that idea. I know. When is your birthday? October? Yeah, I remember. You see, I remember your birthday. I was saving up for it, but now I'm going to spend it on myself. <laughs> Don't worry. You know, you know I'm, I'm not that kind of person, Matthew. Don't worry. I'll just half it but I'll still give you something. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Folks, are we on board? Are we on board? Colleen, are you on board? Are you on WhatsApp? I pray for your WhatsApp account that it be blessed and restored. May God give us grace. Amen? Our Father, we pray that you help us. Indeed, you promise in your word that if we ask, that you will reach out with your strong, mighty right hand and deliver us. Lord, we ask that you help us to clean the surface of our hearts to remove the rocky areas, the gravelly areas, the unfertile areas of our life. 
to cause it to become plowed by the circumcision of your word and by your spirit so that our hearts become good fertile soil in which your word can produce a good harvest for your kingdom, a harvest that you can, Lord, celebrate and that you can rejoice over, that the work of redemption produce for you a fruit that you may receive and may feast on. We pray for every person here this morning and we ask for your grace to be extended to us so that we may act accordingly and that we may receive from you all the good things that you have prepared for us. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive them by faith and with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.